I can do things that wet without asking anybody, even my Coney wife. Coney Island, world's biggest barrel of fun. Anywhere else your imagination takes you. Okay, we've done that now, Mark. You get the whole show now, you hurry, hurry, hurry. Anything's possible at Disneyland. Welcome aboard the Themed Attraction Podcast, where we take you for a ride through the wunderbar world of theme park design, that is. You've just climbed aboard a cruise of discovery and discussion with theme park industry masters of the craft. I'm your skipper, Freddie Martin, and sailing with me as always is theme park designer, master planner, and chief creative officer of Storyland Studios, Mel McGowan. What's on the horizon for us today, Mel? Ach, du lieber, Freddie. We've got a real treat for our passengers today. Our guest is creative director and project consultant, uh, Chris Lang. Uh, Chris and I both grew up in Germany, uh, a little bit after each other, but Chris cut his teeth in the theme park uh, industry, uh, starting off in a scenic fabrication shop in Germany before being tapped uh, internationally to design and implant a pretty impressive string of major destinations around the world. Uh, and when I say around the world, I am serious. Uh, Chris has been creative director for Merlin Entertainment, Max Solutions, the Genting Groups. Uh, he's led projects in California, Malaysia, Singapore, South Korea, and served as senior art director for India's first ever theme park project, Ad Labs Imagica. Most recently, he headed up the resort development for Europa Park's new water park, Rulantica. Wow. <laughs> With all these stories, uh, I think we're going to need a bigger boat. Okay, folks, keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the boat, because this episode is about to leave the dock. Hit it, Sam. So, Mel, here we are, a couple weeks out from a whole bunch of wild, giant theme park announcements and press surrounding like D23 and stuff like that. Disney, you know, talking about their massive Epcot retheming. We've got a Star Wars hotel and details about that. Uh, everybody kind of wants us to compete with that. So you also have Universal's fantastic Epic Universe, uh, fourth, fourth gate for uh, Universal in Florida. Um, and uh, just recently, Six Flags, huge. They've got a ton of new rides. They're trying to um, make sure that they're heard uh, among all the noise. Park. Yeah, and a brand new park. I mean, it's just, it continues to grow. Um, but and so, but the, here's what's funny. I think if you ask the, uh, the average American theme park goer, um, they might think that these are the big brands, that these are all there is. Uh, that that uh, if you're not Disney, Universal, even Six Flags, that's it. That's, those are the theme parks. Uh, but that's not the case, really, is it? Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, there is uh, the local, your local park, you know, typically a Six Flags Cedar Fair. And then you have these kind of nationally known brands, whether it's SeaWorld, Disney, Universal. But uh, the reality is, uh, uh, as uh, a human species, we are wired uh, yeah. to want to connect to narrative and story. And uh, quite rapidly over the last 10, 20 years, um, uh, we've helped take that show on the road. And um, again, the the number of major groups out there, uh, you know, I was uh, looking through the latest uh, themed entertainment association, um, global attractions, uh, attendance reports. Uh, I think they were noting that just with the top 10 operators, uh, and that doesn't include uh, some major 
destinations like uh, Europa Park, like Efteling. Um, but just the top 10 theme park chains drew over a half a billion people wow. uh, for the first time uh, last year. And that's kind of a kind of a big deal. And, and again, to me, it just blows my mind that, uh, again, uh, you could have Disney go to mainland China, the, the capital <laughs> of communism, yeah. and have the highest attended theme park first year attendance ever with uh, Shanghai Disneyland just the the idea that these uh, these stories are so universal that they they connect across so many different cultural and geographic lines is is a really powerful thing yeah 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 and the markets continue to grow you see it um, like in our intro we talked about Chris's uh, you know the, there's a first theme park uh, what could be considered a theme park in India and just consider the number of people uh, the the market that that could be as people are finding themselves with more uh, disposable income they're finding themselves uh, in economies where they want to go and and enjoy a day out at the park absolutely yeah I mean you know I remember as a kid, you know, my mom told me to finish my plate, you know, because of the ch- starving children in, in China. Well, <laughs> right. I've, I've adopted a couple, but uh, China is, uh, you know, maturing, the economy's developing, there's, uh, you know, that rising uh, middle class, there's families that uh, have some discretionary income. And again, not just China, but uh, yeah, where we go, India, around the world, Vietnam. Uh, and so it is exciting uh, as we see families uh, to be able to you know, have that, that means and that margin uh, to, to go to a place where they can kind of set the cares aside uh, and yeah. make some memories together. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's great. Well, our guest today is Chris Lang. So Chris Lang, uh, uh, learn a little bit more about him as we go. But here's how I met him. I was uh, asked to write an article about water parks and water park technologies and uh, technology stories can um, be pretty dry, but uh, it's uh, about wet technologies. So uh, I, I wanted to make it interesting, but I, I got turned on to Chris Lang said, Hey, talk to him. He's a water park guy. Um, I was not what I expected. I mean, I expected to talk to somebody who knew something about slides um, and wave pools. Instead, uh, I just found out that I um, sort of just in my view, discovered one of the great um, theme park creative directors um, uh, working in the industry. And he's had because he's had so much experience um, uh, creating parks around the world. Well, you know, uh, when when you don't have uh, the tethers of a kid and family and you can fly <laughs> anywhere in the world. And uh, I mean, boy, there is a whole wide world out there that Chris has uh, tapped into. And, and sure. I, I appreciate his roots in the the scenic shop, uh, you know, knowing how things actually get put together and how things are attached and, and how to build the project estimates up from the ground up. And I think that idea of not just being a, a, a great creative, a, a, a decent or a great artist, uh, but again, to have that left and right brain, uh, uh, yeah, both right. lobes fully intact, I think is something that <laughs> I, I really resonate with. We've, we've really uh, held pretty close to our chest here at Storyland to, to be able to uh, kind of go from you know, dream of dedication day, uh, keeping things like budget, scope and schedule, uh, you know, kind mm. of insight the whole time. And again, I think that's one of the reasons for uh, Chris's success uh, across uh, some pretty diverse uh, landscapes, you know, uh, Merlin, you know, the, the Legoland Discovery Centers. I mean, definitely one of his his uh, uh, brain childs, you know, that, yeah. that is uh, <laughs> unique to do that indoor micro park context. Right. It's definitely not a it's not a museum. It's it's definitely not an indoor 
indoor playground. I mean, these actually have uh, flat rides. They've got uh, motion simulator rides. But most importantly, they let you touch that Lego experience and expand uh, on it. Um, the, the, the 20th Century Movie Park in Malaysia that I, I understand uh, post-Disney has finally figured stuff out. And uh, <laughs> I think they're, uh, uh, you know, removing the Fox name, but at least uh, a lot of the, the heavy lifting as far as creatively that uh, even when we did the interview, Chris was a little nervous about yeah, the status yeah, yeah, of where yeah. that stuff was. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that we're going to be able to see his handiwork out there uh, pretty soon. Um, you know, again, we mentioned India's first theme park, but uh, we both collaborated uh, on the Sea Life Aquarium uh, down here in Southern California at Carlsbad at Legoland. Um, we we love that little, <laughs> little yeah. place. Um, uh, and we've been uh, excited to be able to um, do some of their more recent updates out there. But again, you wouldn't expect uh, this German guy uh, to thrive in the Smoky Mountains, but he's <laughs> been able to collaborate with uh, great friends like Hershend at Dollywood. Um, but again, he's really made quite a mark at Europa Park. And again, that's one of my childhood parks. And for those of you that don't know, I mean, this is every bit uh, as... Um, uh, epic uh, as uh, uh, universal as a Disney. Um, I mean, this is in some ways, uh, I mean, Disneyland Paris is beautiful and uh, amazing, but this is some homegrown goodness yeah, right. uh, and uh, real family magic out there uh, in, in kind of a backwoods location in, in Germany that, you know, started off as a pretty humble little um, children's landscape garden park and uh, is kind of the best of, I don't know, it reminds me of like a World Showcase uh, slash Islands of Adventure kind of <laughs> merged yeah, into one. Right. It really is, uh, a, it's just a, an amazing uh, park and project. And again, to to expand beyond that ride park and to, to open up uh, really, again, one of the finest um, indoor outdoor uh, themed water parks, um, I think is really fresh, especially with the, the original backstory that he'll talk about. So yeah. I'm excited. Well, let's get the boat on the water, shall we? We're headed back to the Blue Sky Loft at Storyland Studios for our interview with Chris Lang. Well, Chris, it's great to have you here in the Storyland Studios Blue Sky Loft. Uh, once again, interviewing for the Themed Attraction Podcast. It's very exciting to have you here. Um, can't wait to get started. Well, I'm, I'm super excited, too, because we have some shared roots and DNA. Um, I don't know if we've really talked about it, but I grew up in Germany, and some of my earliest memories are uh, with uh, Legos and Europa Park and a lot of the, the same place that you kind of started in the industry. So I can't wait to talk about those shared and I, I think I'm even more excited than you two uh, <laughs> coming down here and feeling honored. So um, awesome. That's well, and, and I know you were at uh, Imagineering yesterday. It is a hike from Glendale That's right. down to our uh, dig. So really appreciate you making the drive. I think it was good that I actually even left an hour earlier than oh, we originally planned. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but it was like uh, shorter than I expected mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So people warned me like, yeah, you should leave three hours right. ahead. I'm like, no, you like, but, you know, I came here in time. I could like get my coffee on the way and uh, being all fresh now. Yeah. For listeners around the world, you know, to them, L.A. is just one city maybe. But, you know, to get from Six Flags, Magic Mountain, I know where you were up even north of uh, WDI to uh, Storyland Studios, which is kind of between LA and San Diego. Yeah. 
uh, three hours would be doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and a little program note for our uh, listeners. Uh, we are live in the uh, the uh, Blue Sky Loft, and today it looks like there's a lot of stuff going on down there. So if you're in any saws uh, banging around of... Uh, materials or um, loud machines. That's okay. You're those are just sound effects. Those are sound effects it's <laughs> to make you think live sound effects. You're really here with us. So, um, uh, Chris, I'm. Uh, we met because uh, we were doing uh, an interview for an article for In Park Magazine. Um, you taught uh, sharing with me about technologies and in water parks, but uh, just very quickly realized that uh, you're you've got so much more uh, vast experience. So like, I want to first kick in and get a little bit of the backstory. Who are you? Where'd you come from? And how'd you get into this uh, themed entertainment mess? I think it's great that we're actually now here in Southern Los Angeles, uh, because to me, like one moment where it all started was certainly, you know, when my parents uh, took me uh, when I was 14, I uh, just did the math in the car again, uh, like down to Disneyland. Wow. And so that was certainly like a life-changing experience with me. And funny enough, like now it makes all sense. But I remember like when I was like six or five, I drove my mom nuts, uh, basically building Christmas markets, German Christmas markets, so carousels, Ferris wheels, uh, I, food I grew stands. up with the Chris Kindle market in Nuremberg. Out of my Legos and yeah. out of my Stabilo and like whatever I could get to build stuff and wow. like put it under the Christmas tree. So there was basically zero uh, space for uh, presents <laughs> anymore. And like, it's funny, like, and like this thing, like just grow year by year and it got bigger. And, you know, so I guess, you know, like the passion for amusement and for rides and so on, it's like uh, started very, very early on. No, but certainly like, you know, like, of course, going to Disneyland uh, when I was uh, 14, uh, I kind of back then said to my mom, like, this is where I want to like live uh, and, <laughs> and die. I think I even said, like, I want to die here. Um, and but like truth is, you know, I have grown up in the east of Germany. So I was 11 when the wall came down and, you know, like um, I was always interested in theater and like, you know, if that event would have never had to, happened, I would have probably like ended up in, uh, we do have like a very famous um, movie studio just outside of Berlin, Studio Babelsberg, where Fritz Lang did Metropolis oh, yeah. and, and all those like crazy black and white movies back then. So like that was always something which I really loved and going uh, because they had a very cheap uh, version of a studio tour even back then in, uh, oh, yeah. in, uh, East, uh, in Eastern times. And um, yeah, so it's uh, so kind of, you know, there was always the passion for theater and certainly for amusement. And then like then seeing this like combined the placemaking and with the rides and telling the stories like in, in, in a Disneyland, though also Universal Studios was very, you know, impressing uh, to me as a little boy back then. Well, I'm gonna guess that uh, that you played with uh, a few Lego blocks as a kid. Um, I know for me, Legoland. Uh, when I was a kid, there was only one. It was uh, in in Belund, Denmark, you know, and and that was like mech. I never actually got to go, but uh, when I was like 14, we we did the the road trip to Fantasia Land, uh, which I'm not even sure if that's how it's pronounced, but it was. Uh, Full of wonderful uh, cut and paste uh, and, and IP lifts from <laughs> from Disneyland, but that was a, as close as I got around that that age. But still, you know, plenty of inspiration. Fantasia Land, absolutely. Like I remember, um, my parents could travel. I think I probably was like nine or eight. They could like you know see um, family over in West Germany, which lived like close to Cologne. 
And so, and uh, they did go with them uh, to Fantasialand. So they came back with the kind of souvenir book. And I was like so mad. I was so mad. I'm like, you didn't get the go. I, I don't want to like, uh, like, I don't want to like see our family. I want to go to Fantasialand, right? <laughs> I think this was like back then, probably like the first kind of encounter to like a, a theme park. And, you know, like Fantasialand back then 30 years ago is like much, was much different than what it is right. like today, right? right? So it, it, it started like a family business like you know with like puppeteers so they really had those marionette figures oh wow and like really kind of very uh, storytelling and very beautiful you know like they when i remember their main street usa was old berlin yep oh really (laughs) yeah yeah so there was a version of the brandenburger gate uh, that was the castle exactly (laughs) that was uh, the vinnie at the end yeah Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> that, that That's really very uh, uh, a special way to bring in uh, the, the the actual history of the area uh, to make that the storytelling yeah. uh, uh, focus. That's really, that's really and, special. And they, they, I remember like, again, like, I don't know, like the park nowadays is maybe like 30% of it used to be like, so like they're really investing and in like doing new great attractions. But back then they had some really wacky, fantastic rides. I remember like a gondola ride like through like thousand and one night. Yeah. And it was, it was like, like a really, Peter Pan homage. It was like Peter Pan, but like they didn't have like animatronics. They really had like marionettes, like so like really? puppets on strings. Yeah. And so they would like move those uh, figures like on strings, yeah. but like beautiful sets, you know, like very, you know, like beautiful designed. And, and that was just like, I remember that that was magical. Yeah. Yeah. I remember a, a odd raft ride that was kind of like a Rivers of America, but then you'd, you'd, stumble on these jungle cruise scenes you know of like elephants and very, oh, really? very <laughs> really. it was like a hybrid of the rivers of america yeah, and the jungle rivers cruise. of everywhere but you know like back back in the days you know like you, you could not like affordable travel to los angeles or right. orlando to see like the real disney so of course like a lot of those european parks and like german parks of course they got highly inspired and just like you know like took took a lot of scenes like uh, you know I remember exactly like that boat ride flume ride you're right. talking about having the the scene where the um, the rhino is chasing up the people on the tree yeah. you know which <laughs> yeah. is exactly what you have here in Jungle Cruise and the like the point in the end <laughs> and you know like they have it at Fantasialand uh, they have it at uh, at Europa Park yeah because you know, know like 30 years ago nobody would like you know go and see no the real notice. thing yeah that's yeah, one of the that's reasons right. uh, I think Tony Baxter was saying they didn't even bother dealing with uh, the Jungle Cruise at Disneyland Paris oh because they, they already it had been it. done it had been done <laughs> yeah but that's that's but I think that's also like, you know, like having that history in European parks, German parks. So they, they kind of started with like copying or being inspired uh, with like a lot of like Disney or American parks. And but then now they all since, you know, we can travel and we know, you know, like, oh, this round golf ball originated in yeah. Epcot. Yeah. And, and so like you would not do that anymore these days. So a lot of those parks like kind of fixing those things uh, and like being more original and telling their own stories. Yeah. Well, there almost seems to be a very unique sense of place, uh, a sense of uh, being Europe that's really celebrated. And I, I do have some early members of Europa Park though. And um, and it's still, still even providing inspiration for some of the parks we're working on today of right. kind of this new genre of, conversation quite of a uh, park that's below the Disney Universal level um, and not quite a Six Flags ride park. But, you know, when Europa opened it, it really, 
was kind of like some of these castle British parks. It was really this garden park, you yeah. know, that was uh, it, built it did, around like a former, it, you know, historic uh It is like castle. funny, like there is a real castle from uh, 1442. So it's like bloody Bal- old. Balthazar. Really? And there's <laughs> Schloss Balthazar, exactly. And there's the castle garden, which needs to stay as a garden. So like there's no chance we could, like they could ever like put a ride in there, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is right because actually people really love to come there, lay under the trees, do their picnic. So it's it's a for Europa Park, which yeah. is like a very busy park in the high season. So it's, it's nice that there's some like kind of escape spaces where you can really like chill and relax uh, from a busy uh, theme park um, circus. And uh, with Europa Park, yeah, it really started as a, as a more like a landscaping park. And funny enough, it always has been named Europa Park, but actually the concept of showing different European countries yeah. just came wasn't like even there. <laughs> many <laughs> years later. Really? Yeah. So there was like a, um, a stage designer, very famous, also like Ulrich Damrauer. And he brought basically the idea, and I think they started, if I remember correctly, with the Italian uh, kind of land, with the Italian area. That was brand new when I first went. And and so that's and it many was, years it was ago. You must be, you must have been very small I'm, back I'm, then. I was very small, and I'm now very old. But yeah, <laughs> this is the '70s we're talking about, people. Yeah, you know, like Europa opened in '75, so it's um, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's, and you know, they developed and they became just like more original. Yeah, and that was like the beauty when uh, Michael Mack asked me four years ago to if I want to join them. Um, you know, just in order to bring more storytelling and like be more original because I think, um, and I worked on some biggie, big IPs and, and, you know, which is always fun, you know, to find your way to translate those into like a ride or a themed area and so on. But uh, certainly what I really enjoyed at Europa Park is actually coming up uh, with, with a new IP. And we did that like very successful, like just like one example is, for example, like, um, last year the refurbishment of our French neighborhood mm. which has been designed by Ulrich Damrau like very beautiful but also of course back then to their financial situation so like of course like things might look a little bit more simple like because like now we're it's a much more stable park um, and, and of course we can like have a better finance and like investments which makes things look more pretty mm-hmm. and uh, back then like they, they found their way and their style to like, you know, like tell a French neighborhood. And then last year uh, with the renovation of the Eurosat coaster, uh, we said, you know, like if we like wanna like touch that coaster, we wanna like really reinvent and like upgrade and re-imagineer the uh, entire area, mm-hmm. which, was, uh, which was awesome. And uh, like, so like talking about IPs, um, so there was a dinosaur ride in the, in the ground floor of that indoor coaster which called a uh, very original universe of energies. <laughs> um, the entrance was like Inspired rock work. by the Exxon Pavilion. <laughs> which is not existing anymore right. now. So like you can, uh, yeah, so that it would have been no rip off anymore. No, but like you would like go into like a dark cave um, and then travel back in time and like have dinosaurs like in a jungle. And which like to me had nothing to do, like it should not belong in a French area in right. the park because there's nothing French about that. And so basically what we did is like, you know, we of course like built complete new facades and like queue lines and so on and so on and came up with the story, which is like sets place in the Alsace, which is kind of the neighbor over in France. Like we are only five minutes away from the river Rhine. 
And so on the other side of the River Rhine, there's the Elsass. And we created a beautiful storyline, like, which takes place in the Elsass. So there's this old lady. She has this wacky shop. And as you walk through the shop, you see like, oh, there's dinosaur bones. And where is this coming from? And where does she have this gigantic dinosaur egg? Till you like then bought the right vehicle and make it through, through her garden. And in her garden, which would have been like naturally like in that area, like a vineyard, mm. um, like she's keeping all those dinosaurs and they're all happy and they eat cake. And <laughs> it's like, and you know, we were like happy to uh, um, do a children's illustration book, which was one of the top sellers last oh, year right, on Amazon yeah. in Germany. Um, and we uh, now there's even like a TV series coming out with oh, that that's IP. That's tremendous. That's great. And and that's really fun if you like you know have the team and you develop those ideas. And there's obviously like you know a lot of people involved uh, at Europa Park. There's also Mac Media, uh, which takes like which is like really like like kind of a media driving component with all of that to see how can we like not just tell the stories inside the theme park, also like you know like get it like home to the people. And that's just like a great example of how how it works, not getting a movie IP, which is like happen very, very often, of course, those days, which is almost like the safe bet. Yeah, right. You know, get a movie IP and like people will hopefully come to your park or they come these days, obviously. Um, and it's a, that's like for, for a creative director, for me, it was just like really pure joy to like like develop original content. Well, I am, you know, one of the things as we're talking, I'm just totally fascinated because I know, again, you were at Six Flags Magic Mountain yesterday, which opened in 71? Yeah, I think it's 70, But anyways, they opened around the same era, um, Magic Mountain and um, Europa. And in a way, they kind of had some similar roots as far as starting off as these kind of garden parks with relatively gentle uh, theming and gentle uh, rides. But it's just fascinating to me how the European parks have kind of... Uh, evolved so differently <laughs> than uh, a lot of the American parks in terms of increasing levels of investment, sophistication, immersion of local soil specific, you know, kind of contextual storytelling. Uh, tell me how that contrasts with uh, your first trip to <laughs> Magic Mountain and your yeah, impression of right. like I've never been. I drove by, you know, like when you take the slower route up to San Francisco, right. you drive by and like, you know, just like you're looking out, at that Wally like World an, panorama, no, but like, a, like just the outline of like a coaster park, right. of course, excites you. You yeah, know, like right. even it's just the steel is my Jesus steel coaster, but it's still it's still Colorful fun, right? Steel. So you drive by, I drove by it a couple of times, and just like yeah. looked over and like, okay, one day I need to go. And um, you know, like we went uh, two days ago actually to uh, you know see it for the first time, and like I have to confess, it, it was my first uh, Six Flags park. And, um, you know, it, of course, it's, it's different. You know, it's different than a Disneyland, it's different from a Europa Park or like other European parks. Um, but, you know, like I think those things also have their market, you know, and, and, and just also think um, f from a ticket price. Yeah. I mean, like with those other big parks, if it's the Universes or the Disneys, where is it going to end? You know, like, and like, if you build the attraction, which costs you like 1.3 billion, which is yep. beautiful, but like, of course, like you have to, you know, like you have to make the math. Um, and, and I think, um, and, and, and it's great that it's done, but I think also like with those other parks, the Six Flags, you know, like there's people like having their annual pass and they just go there after work to get a kick and ride a coaster yep. and have a good time. And, you know, like, 
and and I did see where where those parks comes from. You know, when you said like back in the seventies, you they were a little different, and like there is some beautiful landscaping. There's some really great placemaking in some areas, and then some areas there just like you know try. You know, in a way to like, you know, like put an IP on things, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and and there's some original things, you know, like one reason was like really going to see the Justice League ride, which is, of course, like a fantastic addition and which is a fun ride. And I like I appreciate like, you know, like kind of a coaster park, a steel park takes that risk of putting a dark ride in there. Yeah, their very first um, dark ride. But it was like popular and people loved it. And, you know, like maybe it opens up for a little bit more like of these ways of more storytelling attraction. Because yeah. I, I think like obviously like a coaster and like I think. Well, John and Rich are good friends and um, over at Sally Corporation. And yeah. I know it's been a crusade of theirs to bring back some family dark rides back into the U.S. regional park uh, industry. So just kudos to them for even pulling absolutely. that you know, absolutely multi-year you know arm twisting yeah and then off, it just spread uh, it spread to all the six flags i don't know if every single one has it now but uh it was it became a nice copy, franchise, and, copy yeah. and paste franchise and 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 they did develop their product right yeah. i mean just like they started a couple like years ago in australia it's like the test try and then just like from every ride they put in they just like evolved and made it better yeah and you know like then now they have like the 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 version here in six flag mountain and I, I i think just like you know dealing with that and just like you know like having the long breath uh and to force that and to follow that um you know again as is yeah kudo to like uh, john and his entire team over at sally yeah, and, you know, again, uh, for uh, just an average park goer, you know, it's easy to compare that up against a, a Disney or Universal attraction. But, you know, when you realize that, you know, if say you're at a Six Flags St. Louis, you know, you're, you're talking a park like one twentieth the attendance of yeah, right. uh, a Disney or Universal Seasonal park. And, everything. and again, the investment, I don't know if it's one twentieth, but it, it very well could be. And, and to still pull something off through the layers of approval of working with a DC or a, you know, whatever Hollywood IP. But like, you know, walking around there yesterday, like in the end, like people seem to be very happy. Of course, I'm not the steel park fan because I'm a storyteller and I wish there was more theming and there was like better quality of rock work and the plaster, character plaster wasn't like the way I would have done it and so on. So I get all that. And that in the end has to do with budget. But like funny enough, like people, they were eating, they were sitting there, they were laughing and they were like, even like running and there was like no people, like there yeah, was no right. queue lines, but they're running to the coasters. And, and by the way, this was, a, we're in a heat wave. It was a hundred yeah, degrees right. plus yeah. when you were there. So, um, yeah. And that's, I wish I would have gone to the water park because that was like, look, much more refreshing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You, well, you know, one of the d design leaders on the water park and, and actually for a good chunk of time there at, at uh, Magic Mountain was Kevin Barbie, another yeah. uh, associate of yours who uh in addition to his, his stint with uh, uh magic mountain uh went on to do uh lead creatively uh the universal studio singapore you guys had a chance to work on uh a, a certain ip yes. uh fox that's now under the disney umbrella tell us no. uh, those war stories <laughs> um yeah i'm i met kevin many many years ago but then i had the pleasure of uh, going to singapore uh, you know, where Genting Singapore has their headquarter and um, Kevin was leading um, basically the in-house uh, design agency, uh, you know, creative development department, IMRS. Um, and I was working for IMRS for one and a half years almost, uh, like working on this Fox Park. 
And I think we, you know, like nobody knows where this like journey ends and under what name, umbrella, whatever it's going to open. But it was like really, I, I truly enjoyed that because we did though created some really cool rides, very, uh, I think a great um, use of different ride systems. Also some like, I mean, for me, for example, that was the first time I could like really like have a team of engineers like designing a prototyping ride system. So there's a couple of ride system in that park, uh, which I had really the pleasure. And I know like that doesn't happen so often in a career in your lifetime where we really have a whole team of engineers uh, from a great company, like really like designing something which nobody has done before. And uh, which, because you think this is the best fit for that particular IP. And, and so just like, you know, that was just like fun working with those people there, uh, meeting new industry friends and, um, but really trying the best to, you know, like uh, fit those Fox IPs and uh, Blue Sky IPs. Well, what are some of your favorite applications of uh, some of those IPs that you're allowed to talk about? Because <laughs> they were almost built and ready to open. Yeah, what can you see from, from the gondola when you swing over? I mean, obviously, <laughs> yeah. there's a big Ice Age mountain with the coaster in. Yeah. And, you know, not, which, not such a big secret. Which has <laughs> yeah. also been like, you know, on the obviously like concept art published and so on. But like for me, for example, you know, Ice Age, Snow, Mountain, and, you know, those ride vehicles, they were themed as like acorns. And I think that just like made very much sense. Like yeah. you would like really hide the tracks and give the guests the feeling they're just sliding down um, yeah. those slopes and right. those ice uh, things uh, on in their acorns. And I think that that's a great example to uh, like make most sense of an, of an IP and like use the right system. So that's like really like naturally, it feels natural like sure. you would do that. And you know, like of course there's also other rights with the uh, Ice Age IP, which are like even more fun, but just like I think that coaster it's uh, just like, you know, like Big Thunder Mountain, you know, yeah. like it is a railroad yeah. and this is why there's tracks. Um, and I think this is how it should be if you like, you know, like try to really immersely tell a story with like uh, a coaster. This is really kind of a unique historic moment because I don't know if there's ever been a park that cooked, that done, that built that is is literally now, now in limbo in limbo. terms of yeah. what's going to happen with uh, the the IP negotiations between Disney and Fox. So personally, I can't wait to, to go visit <laughs> and just see what what happens uh, at the end of that story. Um, but that, that's fascinating. That's tremendous. I yeah, you do have like, you do create parks and then like there's value engineering or like a change of IP. Right. Like here and there but like really that it's like fundamentally like changing from scratch basically mm -hmm. and stripping all the ip i think that never really happened before in in our lifetime i guess so the, the closest precedent i could think of is um you know rick bastrop you know we, we were interviewing right. him on the mgm grand uh movie world i think was the original name and then they similar uh negotiations with disney and they they had to pull back the notion that it was a movie studios based park so That's it right. was kind of apocalypse now but but you couldn't really call it that and <laughs> it happened of, before in like you know there there was a warner brothers movie world in germany That's right. just like very close That's to fantasia land and bruce green were coming and, on and again that was also a beautiful yeah. park and they had like some classic warner brothers like ips like a batman great batman ride and so on same as uh 
down in Australia, which is still Warner Brothers. Um, and when they are lost the IP or I decided not to pay the fees anymore and like make it movie world, uh, you know, like they had to be creative. Um, and I think some things worked out, some things <laughs> not so good to like strip all those IPs. Funny enough, and I worked on a couple of projects uh, down there they were like changing directions also. So they had this time where they then like, you know, like didn't use Warner Brothers anymore, but like, you know, like got other IPs in, like Nickelodeon and those things. And then they had a time where like, okay, we want to like completely like go away from the movie IP and movie world at all. So they created like um, the, what's it called? Is it the time traveler? Like the, no, the tunnel. There's an immersive, immersive tunnel yeah. in there, which... That's embarrassing because I was like, like designing this. I can't remember the title of the attraction anymore. No, but it's, um, and that was fun. And that was like, no, no, no movie references. We create our own stuff. And, uh, you know, Super 78, they did the, um, the like the content for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with Reva back then, we did the, all the concept design, but like using my team back in Germany, which was fun. And, um, and then the next thing is like, oh, let's do a Star Trek roller coaster. Yeah. Which, you know, like great coaster, Mark Wright's product. Of course, <laughs> it's great. But then you think like, oh, okay, like last year you didn't want to do anything Any, movie at all. Right. And then like no, suddenly yeah. next year you change directions. And yeah, I don't know where they go now. Yeah. Actually, I guess we've got precedents similar to the Paramount Parks, kind of yeah. debranding, selling to Cedar Fair and stripping. Most of them, there, Six Flags now, yeah. right? Uh, Cedar Fair actually yeah. is, is our other uh, regional operator. Yeah. In the U.S. So, um, speaking of almost disasters or some uh, some potential disasters, I want to talk about a real disaster that happened at Europa Park. Is it last year? It's just yeah. a year ago. Um, for those of you who don't know, like this is a uh, how old is Europa Park? It's f 40? 44 years. Okay, 44 years old. Um, and for listeners who have a fam a favorite local park, imagine one of those um, one of your favorite rides. Um, suddenly catching fire and burning to the ground and being lost forever. I mean, I think people people mourn those attractions that go away just simply because they're replacing it or, or moving something. But this was one of those frightening tragedies where something that your whole childhood has been going around. And this was their Pirates of Batavia, uh, very similar to, uh, in concept to the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. So just imagine if Pirates of the Caribbean burned down. So you were involved in the park at that time, yes? Yes. Tell, tell tell us a little bit about that experience and and I, I, I was there the day wow. the fire was and I was like uh, ironically I was in a meeting with the family uh, with Sir Michael and Roland Mac and we like pretty much two hours before the fire started agreed what our new attraction would be for nineteen ah. and we knew that we're gonna in nineteen open our Kronosa Hotel and uh, we opened the water park and we said you know let's do something new, of course, because we do have 80% uh, repeat visitors and they kind of expect uh, to do and see something new every year, which, you know, it's, it's, it's great, you know, because you like really being very, very busy, constantly developing new attractions or like new restaurants, new shops and so on. And, um, and then I will really like remember like being in, in my office with Michael uh, Mark, when he got the call, like on the radio, uh, that like you know, like there's fire alarm and so on, and then just being there, helping, seeing, you know, like running around, trying to get stuff. Like we were carrying cars away that the fire trucks could even get closer there wow. and so on. 
So it wears some very dramatic, and it's like nothing, I think, which can you prepare for such an event. No. Um, obviously, we were very well prepared and could handle it uh, the best way ever, I, I, I guess. But, you know, that that's shocking. And it's just like, and then like the, the day after and then the next day, you kind of realize, you know, what's really gone. And it was not just like Pirates of Batavia. It was like complete our Dutch neighborhood and right. our Scandinavian village. Um, and that all burned down. And um, so it was just like, and then seeing, you know, like out of our office, you could actually see down uh, to the place, which is even more des uh, devastating. Wow. And, you know, like it, it, it was a big shocker. I mean, especially for the family, like uh, for Roland, who really like built this attraction like with his team back then with his own hands and was like so much deeply involved in all the ideas and the construction and uh, has like memories of his father uh, Franz Mack um, and um, yeah it, uh, it it was shocking like for us working there um, we kind of almost like grow closer together like to yeah, handle the situation and then you know like the it's like the phoenix uh, rises from the ashes you know like i think the next day so first of all i think it was awesome that we opened the very next day mm -hmm. you know that was just the message to send out mm -hmm. yeah. because beside that really hot summer last year but like the fire almost like did not affect if not did not affect uh you know like our intendancy like oh, wow. so we could wow. like top in 18 we had like more people than in 70 so that that was great um, and, and, um, but pretty much I got the call the next day. It's like, okay, let's sit together. Let's see what we're going to do. Wow. And you do have, you know, like ideas because it was a very old area in the park and like certainly not the way planned. You would do that these days with like talking about infrastructure. Right. Uh, there was a lot of gastronomy. There was like retail and like, just like, and, and also like, like three times more people than <laughs> they built it back right, then like we right. like our guests <laughs> and so like you know we were thinking like doing adjustments in like the overall layout master planning like you know like do we make it wider do we create other corridors and so on and so on but then it was very clear and like you know for the family now we pretty much want to rebuild it as it was as yeah, it was you don't want to lose that charm and intimacy and 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 so um we had to do some adjustments because obviously like building codes are much stricter and different right. like uh, 20 years later. So that happened. Uh, no just grandfathering like, in if you're building it from scratch again. <laughs> it, you know, we really like took the old drawings and this is like back then when like uh, architecture drawings were made by hand. Yeah. So uh, we scanned them and oh, we transferred wow. them in CAT and really like tried to stay as true as possible uh, to the old kind of look and feel. Again, like it's almost you know, a, a historic uh, recreation, adapt, adaptation, right. or recreation. Oh, but like fantastic. you know, like we certainly made it more pretty. You know, again, like you know, with nowadays technology and CNC cutting wood pieces and so on, so you could certainly could like put more detail in, which again back then uh, nobody could afford that. Um, so that so it, so which is great because like it, it, it like it looks nicer. It looks different. It has a different feel because. Uh, we also needed to add actually one story of those buildings, which makes it a little bit more more narrow. You know, like it, it used to be much more villagey. Now it's like more like a cute small town, I would say. Um, which again, like I think we... Probably a little more authentic. We, like did a 
great job like you know like translating this into into nowadays and also the biggest change was that we like speaking of the Scandinavian village that uh, we created uh, also like had like parts of Rolantica in there now uh-huh. and uh, so and and that's fun because like you know like we again create our own IP with our water park uh, Rolantica and basically making this now part of Scandinavia with the new Europa Park makes it even more authentic. You know, obviously, like, we created a fictional island named Rolantica for the water park, uh, which is, like, our water park, a new the water park IP and all the happenings in a water park center about those islands. Um, and now there's also a little part of that uh, within the Scandinavian area. Yeah. But just, like, where it belongs, it, it almost feels, like, natural. So I think that's, that's kind of the new thing uh, and, like, even the improvement. That's great. How do you tell a story when people listen with more than their ears? Stories change lives. They make us remember, but only when they're felt and not just heard. Storyland Studios builds the impossible. We turn big ideas into reality. We tell stories in three dimensions to stir the senses so you can walk into places you've only seen in your dreams, in real life and real time. Storyland's artists, architects, and artisans take stories out of the imagination and build tangible dreams that leave lasting impressions and memories that endure for years. What's your story? Storyland Studios is themed entertainment, destination design, production, and fabrication. Connect with the team at Storyland Studios to get started building your impossible dream today. Visit storylandstudios.com or call now. 800-218-1932. That's 800-218-1932. Storyland Studios, your big ideas, best ally. What's the, can you explain the the compare contract again from the original, kind of just the level of construction, level of finish, the level of sophistication of kind of that hand-built versus again for our listeners, kind of, the 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 new in addition to just you know more financial resources and and uh, cash flow just the the actual technical and and um, building uh, materials uh, and techniques available as as that was upgraded with even though the, there was an intention to keep the the homage to the original there were like pieces on the original like for example where the fjord restaurant were which had like a big roof piece coming out and there were like uh, like a pattern which were like just like repeating itself. You know, it was like kind of a one by one meter, so three by three feet, like grid, which was just like, you know, like a nice ornamentic pattern, which was just repeating itself uh, because that's like what was quick back then and like affordable. And so, and for, for example, that little like piece of roof, we designed like a whole new pattern, which is like even more like uses the typical Scandinavian uh, like ornamentic, mm-hmm. like highly inspired with that. And so it could be like much more elaborate, uh, you know, like the frames around the windows, uh, you know, like it had like much more detail in there. So there's like another another line, another like little thing on, on that. So that was just like the, the level of richness. Obviously, like, you know, like it used to be like timber boarded before. Uh, we added some more also plaster and stone facades. It was like much more just timber uh, back then. Just to now, like again, to play a little bit with colors and 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 like have a, like a wider uh, range of uh, different architectural styles, because it's it's a, it's a Scandinavian village, right? So 
And we're not really saying, is this is Norway? Is this uh, Sweden? Right, right. It's like Denmark. It's almost like offending those countries there because we all <laughs> right. say it's one, right. uh, which I've, you know, they might not like, but you know, like, because, you know, it's not really clear it's Sweden. It's so like, and which is like nice because you can really like now use lots of reference. You like, you have your beautiful buildings in Copenhagen, you have your Stockholm, you have like the villages in Norway. And, and so just like kluching this all together and make like a nice facade of that. Uh, so we can say this is Scandinavia. Yeah, it reminds me of Tom Morris and, and Tony uh, Baxter uh, recalling uh, kind of the, the, the serious concern and consternation and care uh, when they were updating the, the original Disneyland Fantasyland. Yeah, and right. even though they, you know, it needed to be updated, you know, from these painted plywood facades to this rich, um, yeah. you know, uh, you know, flat work and concrete like work. Timber frame, timber huts frame. and houses. And I mean, walking into Disneyland and seeing that castle, which of course has like looked completely different, like for a little kid. Yeah. And like seeing it nowadays, you know, like building some of my own castles, uh, yep. like in my career, you think like, oh, that's like very simple and like that's pretty chunky and blocky here <laughs> and 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 so it's funny how they like also over time added more detail on that yeah. right um well wait till you see it uh they've upgraded it again this year it's really uh it's got some some new things that do you like the on. new color scheme i i it, it was shocking at first but i do i appreciate that they uh did a little bit more with the force perspective. It's, it's and bedazzled, but we're going to be heading bedazzled. there in a few, so I can't wait to, to yeah, get, get your reaction. Get your reaction. Yeah. Um, I want to go back in time a little bit and um, hear uh, about how you got started in the industry it, itself, and um, specifically that you know you you uh, I think early on in the the what I remember from our previous conversations is that um, you got to work on the Sea Life. Um, uh, uh, Aquarium yep. for Legoland, and and tell me a little bit about that which, because which, with by Merlin, the way, we're we've got staff down there uh, today. We we were able to work on their last expansion and renewal, and uh, we're working on it. And so, so cool. we've had some shared projects and and clients with Merlin, Legoland, and the the Sea Life stuff. But yeah, I can't wait to. So um, me finishing school, uh, knowing like seriously, like uh, back then, like being in Germany. Um, just like working in the themed entertainment or for themed industry was like almost like unreachable. It, it really seemed to be so far away. Mm -hmm. And I always had my uh, other passion was like, you know, like movies and science fiction, especially like miniature models. You know, like of course, big fan of Star Wars, but also Lord of the Rings and really like kind of the old style, like big miniature Pre models. And like, you know, so... And I thought, okay, this is much more uh, approachable for me. And I, I actually started like going into the movie production, which hoping like later making the transition like more into the special effect field. So nevertheless, like a couple of years later, I, you know, ended up like doing a lot of commercials, music videos uh, as a line producer, um, which, you know, like, thank God then like at one day I remembered like, this is really not what I wanted. Uh, whereas my creativity and, and I kind of really like cut with that career because, um, but, you know, certainly it, it like it teach me how to produce things and how to be like, you know, on time, on schedule, yeah. uh, on, on budget. Um, and, you know, I, I could travel like back in the days when they would do music videos and commercial, 
you would go to the most beautiful islands, you would go up in the snow <laughs> in the mountains. Yeah. So, you know, like for me, uh, starting my career, this was all very exciting. Um, but, you know, like, thank God, I kind of like really did like full stop and uh, reorientated myself and thought, okay, a great, uh, a great way and a great foundation of like to do that and be more creative is uh, stage design. So I did study uh, stage design, sculpture and painting. So the majority of uh, sculpture and painting, which was also like very uh, hands-on. So like, you can like, we can go down there, you give me a knife and I'm gonna cut your styrofoam and we, then we make you something pretty. We might take you up on pretty, that offer. We've got some yeah. deadlines Make you living. something pretty out of that. Um, I knew though, um, I, like, I did not seek a career in like sculpting or like, you know, cutting form. Uh, but I did thought like, okay, in order to, later be an art director and like walk over a construction site or over a project and like like you know i follow the philosophy it's like easy to criticize yeah but like you know show me how to do this better and 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 so i thought okay it would be nice to know actually how you sculpt like a rock work and how right. you're going to paint it and what's the layers of paint and so you do see something and it doesn't feel right it doesn't look nice like okay, can we still fix that with paint or do we have to start over again? Yep. And so I was really interested in like learning more the hands-on and the technology behind all those kind of imitation technology. Mm -hmm. You know, so I did learn how to like paint a marble and like paint your wooden board and so on, which like, you know, helped me tremendously later in my career. So doing that, um, I did like, you know, pick the company, which was a scenic workshop, um, concentrating on, on movies. Uh, which I knew from my, you know, like years as a line producer. So I used those guys uh, on many projects. And I said, you know what, you're also talented. And like, you know, for a movie, you like you do things uh, out of cluster because, uh, you know, like two days later, you're going to crash it down and you start all over again, building something new. And if I said, if you only use concrete, you can basically do the same, like beautiful artistically things, just like, you know, change the material. So, and I kind of started like business development for them, like going into like more like approaching theme park clients, you know, like from theme parks in Germany and like Merlin was um, basically our first client. And we worked uh, on the dungeon in Hamburg, which just opened, so did an expansion there. And so that was like you kind of the step into, uh, in, into the world of theme park and like still like, you know, like creating and physically also working there, doing the painting, doing the night shifts with the team and with the crews. Um, and then later on, like, you know, just being more and more responsible, just like, uh, you know, creating and doing concept and uh, like supervising the, the designers and so on. Uh, but those still like love to be, you know, on site and also like get my, get my hands dirty because I think that that's really fun. Um, so like, you know, like the dungeons. So that was like Merlin back then when they only owned the sea lives. There were a couple of sea lives in, in Germany, down in Konstant and I think Speyer, Timmendorf. Um, and they just built the one in Berlin and like really, um, and that was Merlin back then uh, having the dungeon dungeons and the sea lives. Um, That's one of the things, by the way, they really, to me, added to the aquarium industry, you know, kind of getting away from just kind of that science center, um, kind of almost institutional, uh, sterile, uh, kind of marine institute kind of look to, uh, you know, adapting and including a lot of the themed scenic, environments. Uh, themed environments. And, and, and so um, what I wanted to say, um, so that was like my playground. And we then, like, I had the pleasure, like, creating, like, whole storylines and, like, designing sea lives 
for for Merlin. And I did that for many, many years. Um, and then like speaking of down here in Legoland, um, they asked me because, you know, back then I did had like, like some projects done in the United States and all over the world. So they wanted me to, okay, how are we going to make a sea life like going into the American market? It was the first sea life, uh, first uh, Merlin Midway sea life here um, in the US. Um, and it was only like 20 minutes away from sea world. Yeah. So why would people come to us uh, when they can like go on the big coasters next door? And so we really tried to like do a strategy. Uh, not to mention Scripps Aquarium, Long Beach Aquarium, yeah. you know, I mean, the world famous Monterey Aquarium. Monterey, exactly. So, and we were like Merlin back then, we were pretty aware, okay, this is a big competition and we definitely have to position ourselves. And, you know, like we really came up with ideas saying like, you know, my first aquarium, like, you know, right. bringing especially the children closer and have that like more encounter with the fish. And like, you know, it doesn't need to be like big fish, you know, like, right. uh, so it can just be like small fish, but really like cleverly, like tell a nice story. So like that sea life has been like really beautiful themed. I think there's some really cool areas. Um, and, but like, you know, having some unique, you know, bubble holes and like really like tanks where you can crawl in, crawl through and so on. Because even the ocean tank is like pretty spectacular there. And of course it's beautiful to have Lego models in there. But of course, there's certainly bigger tanks and, you know, more acrylic in other aquariums, like just like very close by. So from a marketing and from a story, uh, we we try to really position it as, you know, my first uh, aquarium experience for like smaller kids, which might be frightened, like when they see like a big shark, like approaching you, like like, through the (laughs) acrylic. And um, I think that that worked worked out very well. And like, of course, like beneficial having that beautiful side next to Legoland entrance, right. which, you know, like just that Legoland park is just so beautiful and so popular. I mean, like this, they, they have like just a big number of any pass holders. Certainly the area where it is, it's, it's a pretty wealthy and it's, you know, area. So people go there and spend money and then they certainly enjoyed that aquarium. Yeah, and the, the whole compliment there with the the two Legoland hotels at the front gate. Yeah. I mean, it, and the the water park. Uh, again, we've enjoyed working on all those components, but it really does create a, a child sized destination resort. You know, on, on the on the same footprint of a lot of other just regional parks. I mean, and, you could really and, spend a couple of days. And I here. think it goes a little bit in the line with like you know, like a six six facts park. Like, don't even try to compete with the Disneyland because I think in the end no, it's a different right. audience. It's a different product and there's nothing wrong with the product. Carve like that rather market niche. Yeah. cherish it and be proud and like make that particular like product better and make right. it more immersive like within your financially like, you know, limits and, and, and so on. And I think, uh, yeah, and I think that's also what Legoland is doing. Yeah. Um, like because they cater, I think they do, it's a different product. So they, they, they cater maybe even the same people, but uh, on a very different way. Yeah. Uh, when I interviewed you about water parks and building things like that you said a a line that i i'll never forget really funny line he said about water and you know the dangers of chlorine or whatever he said, learning from sea life water finds a way oh yeah <laughs> and it, it, it's it when you bring water into any uh activity or any uh, attraction it becomes a whole other, entire different problem doesn't it <laughs> Like, you know, like you think, oh, I want this waterfall or I I need like a water wheel, like to have 
you know, movement and so on. And just like, you know, always think about that twice because like water really finds its way. Like, you know, like working so many years for sea life and then like so many aquarium projects, not just sea life, but uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a nature, it's a force of nature. Yeah. And you can like, sometimes you use the best, you know, fiberglass lining and you work as accurate as possible and you have the best silicones and Jesus, there's water dripping somewhere, yeah, you know, like it's, it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, like, like it, it's so simple. Yeah. We have rock work here and there's a waterfall, but like making that waterfall fall beautiful over the rocks, you know, like have the fiberglass lining under those components, like it's just like, like dealing with water. It's so important. Like, you know, just like water. And I, I like talking about like water attractions, what we did. And I think there's like some of the best like types of attractions really is like a river rapid ride yep. because like water is unpredictable and like you sit there and you're not getting wet and then like next time you get wet and like it's it's really and that's the fun because it's unpredictable so you can be you think you're going to be clever and you're going to like avoid the water and moving there moving there now like you know yep. a second later just like you get the whole wave of water in your face. And it's, uh, I think that that's a fun component where like a dark ride or coaster, you do see, okay, I'm going left next, I'm going right, right. besides yeah. X2 because you don't know where you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, which again, I think it's all the fun. It's unpredictable. That's the moment of surprise. Yeah. And I think the moment of surprise, you get like a lot of emotions out of that, right? And yeah. so we, that's what we want to do, like, you know, get emotions out of our guests. Yeah, I think whenever we've asked this question, uh, you know, what's your favorite project you worked on? Typically, you know, it's kind of like asking uh, who's your, which is your favorite kid um, uh, in your family, and you can't really ask. So, it's, uh, oftentimes the people talk girl, about of it's the young girl. Often, <laughs> but oftentimes it's about the uh, it's about the most recent. And so, I wanted to just kind of talk about Rulantica just a little bit before we close up and uh, um, talk to me because because in a lot of ways that. Um, is a really beautiful new uh, park, even a new um, new concept in the park. You wanted to, to have us uh, share with us a little bit about your involvement there. And uh, it's, it just seems like such a beautiful place. Can't wait to visit. Um. Yeah, I mean that that was a like beautiful experience, and I feel honored doing a water park in northern Europe. You know, <laughs> it, it's an indoor water park. So there's like, you know, 90% of everything is there covered. Um, and, you know, I, I did work for other water parks, you know, like uh, next to Berlin, there's Tropica Island, which is like, I wouldn't really describe as a water park because it's like jungle slash accommodation slash water attractions. So it's like a whole different beast, I would say. And uh, when I was like, you know, asked to help uh, for uh, like, you know, with a water park, uh, Europa Parks water park, Funny enough, the um, so there was like PGAW, awesome architecture company, and like having like great experience in, in, in uh, water parks and like Ship Cleary, uh, like veteran and like water parks, like helped us designing and helped Europa Park finding the best like product. Um, so there's like so many things I could tell you. Like first of all, um, difference is that we do have like some pretty gigantic fiberglass slides which you typically won't find in Germany or even Europe because the process of getting those approved, you would like, if you go like to a typical German water park or even center parks, uh, they still use a lot of the uh, steel slides wow. because that's just like a product, you know, like it has the same thickness uh, at the top of the slide, at the end of the slide. So the German TOV really likes that because it's easy to certify. And mm -hmm. uh, the problem with the fiberglass, it is man-made. 
and like you use a little bit more resin and use a little bit less resin. So it like means the thickness should always not go under a certain thickness, but like it is different like in every square inch yeah, of a right. water slide. And getting through the painful um, process of with the German authorities to get those approved, I think that was just like the one of the biggest challenge uh, besides getting environmental studies for the site. We put that and so on and so on. But like, I think like, uh, so respect to the Mac family that they said, you know what? We want to really like offer our guests something new. They've never like, you know, experienced before and like going to the pain of getting those things approved. And that, that already made it special. And, and so like then coming on board, you know, like having a layout, you know, we had the wave pool, the lazy river and so on. Uh, and we had the name Rolantica, and but nobody knew what it was. So we started with like like really different concept. You know, like one idea was like called Rolantica B, and to me it's like it's so weird to talk about this because now of course it is an island. Like it always has been an island, and like it will go in the history as an island. But like you know, early on like it could have been a boat. Uh-huh. You know, we did concept. Okay, this is the explorer boat which brings you onto like certain areas in the world. So we did have like some temple structures and like, and so on. And then we said, you know what? We want to like stay um, North European. So we want to like kind of, you know, like cater that a little bit uh, because again, palm trees has been done so many times. Pirates has been done so many times underwater. So we want to do like different. And, and I think like from a creative and, and design standpoint, I want, I, I treat it as like a theme park. And like the the slides were my coasters, the lazy river were my dark ride, and 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 so that's like why it's almost like you know it's like lens theme park lens, yeah. which we created, and uh, basically before we could like draw that image of that island Rolantica, we needed like for me like another thing was like I did not want to have like plastic slides visible. There's certainly like in the outside of the building, you do see like very colorful slide scheme because, you know, it's more fun when you sure. have colors going like by and the sense approach, of speed. Yeah. But actually in the inside, you would like see, uh, you know, like our half pipe is like, a, it's white because it's like sitting in a glacier. Yeah. And like, again, like you sliding on snow. It's a little bit like, you know, the scrap coaster in Ice Age where you're sliding on your acorn. So like you have your tube and you go down and you slide uh, because it is very slippery on snow. Like, yeah. you know, I don't know how much you experience down here in Southern California, but like, you know, we do get some snow in Germany and we all have been like landed on our butt uh, <laughs> yeah. and we know how slippery it can be. So like, that was like one thing. Okay, some of those slides, like we have to like, you know, packages. And so, which is like, it's almost, you know, because like the, the rides were there so they were like picked we kind of like fine-tuned them and like keep develop them uh, but you, like they want like they knew what they want like what kind of slides and again like you know pjv and pro slide and ship clear like played a big role in that and i kind of came and then later it's okay like this is sits there how can we like dress it mm-hmm. and 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 so it was a little bit like the backwards process it was not like okay we have that island and we have to have this and this and this and there were for example like like the kind of more the um, relaxed lagoon for the adults with the cocktail bar and so on which is like okay like there's nothing more annoying right. like being there and like hearing the kids next door scream so there i was like okay i kind of want to shield that i want to make that very intimate 
and I, we found those great like references of like a forest where like the sunbeams kind of comes in. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, you know, with a little fog layer, yep. make that very mythical. So this is now our forest lagoon. And 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 so and so you like really come like develop area from area to make them also all very different. And like when you have those areas, you kind of you know then say, okay, of course, like now this this is now the island, and there's like the little village on a stilt, you know, stilt village like going over the waves, and so on and so on. So that was like uh, that was a great fun process. And then of course having the hotel opposite of the water park, uh, which is our museum hotel. And uh, you check in there, and if you like, like one of the professors just like came back from his research uh, trip because the kids' bunk beds are like you know like a luggage pieces of luggage that's where so they sleep fun. in, and and yeah, so like that, that's I'm really proud like that I could be part of that, and I think it it, it will come together beautiful. The hotel looks very nice, and uh, that was really exciting. Yeah, that's well, great. I got to follow up with, um, I mean, there's so many different paradigms, you know, uh, in that compared to uh, the U.S. park industry. Uh, kind of a curveball for you. What can the U.S. slash the world uh, glean from uh, Europe, uh, both on the projects, parks you've worked on, projects like Efteling? Uh, there, it just seems like at the core there's a, a unique philosophy or just a different approach um, to whether you're talking about the the Disney's or the, the Six Flags in the US I think maybe being certainly US parks are very original with like the type of attraction of course there's a lot of like attraction prototyping and so on because there's a bigger budget involved um, but like also like going back in the US park history uh, like, you know, there were a lot of own stories, you know, like a lot of the regional parks catered, you know, like great example, Dollywood, right. you yeah. know, like don't tap into any IPs, you know, like they're just like, you know, like scenically being in this awesome Smoky Mountain area and they do have a lot of legends and like stories which are local. Yeah. And that's like why they tap in and even now with their like uh, wild, wild growth uh, expansion, you know, yeah. which is more fairy tale and so on. But I think that's that's fantastic example, like uh, creating your own IP and making it authentic and it feels natural. And instead of like just like hang, oh, we're gonna play safe. We're gonna like pay this IP holder and we're gonna like make it that, um, which again works. And it always depends. Uh, but I think that's something like in Europe and like Europa Park certainly makes their own IPs and like uh, is like strong with that and like even successful marketing it outside of the park. But as Fantasia and as Efteling, another great example. And I think like just like being more original mm -hmm. and don't, don't like uh, play safe. It's almost like it's, it's almost like like playing safe. And you know, like there's a certain, of course, like if like an IP is hot and fresh, um, nothing wrong with like using it and then and, and, and so on. But um, maybe again, like with all the regional parks and smaller parks, um, which also tend to just, you know, like go the, the route of the IP, you know, like maybe they can go back to see, you know, what, what's our regions famous for, like, you know, what, what, where are we coming from and tapping more into that, uh, being a little bit more original in that. I couldn't agree more. One of our designers, Mark Gildersleeve, uh, worked on Wildwood Grove. And again, when you hear Dolly Parton's uh, 
you know, reminiscing, uh, waxing nostalgic of her childhood, you know, with without PS4s and Fortnite and, <laughs> and screens, uh, but just kind of, you know, finding herself in the woods uh, using whatever, you know, cans they found laying around or tree trunks and and again just adding that layer of and, and childhood imagination and i think even like in, in big parks you're like you know like disney california adventure you know like talking about like a fun attraction right. the river rabbits right yeah. going to the mountains of course like beautiful extensively themed but that you know there's no ip and hopefully that will stay that way because uh, it doesn't need it. Yeah, you know, it's been it refreshing to see the, the warm welcome of the return of uh, Soren over California. Yeah, that's right. Again, no IP, celebrating the unique spirit of people, place that, you know, that, that story that can really should only be told in the, in the right setting and uh, how that really just stands the test of time and works for multiple generations. Well, Chris, this has been a ton of fun. We didn't cover even half of what we wanted to. So we got to have you come back and yes, uh, be on the podcast again. Um, we've got uh, uh, some fun today. So we're going to go head over to Disneyland and check Speaking out Galaxy's of IPs, Edge. So I'm like, you know, there's nothing wrong with IPs. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled and uh, can't wait to play over there a little bit. Well, yeah, we're uh, we've got we're heading to the Club Thirty Three Summer of Tiki. They they've still got a little bit oh, of vibe, good. and uh, we're we're gonna enjoy some tiki drinks and uh, and uh, mix it up. So that'll, that'll thanks be so fun. Much for, so uh, sorry, sorry, listeners, uh, you're gonna have to <laughs> wait till you're on the program, and then <laughs> maybe we'll do that. And uh, again, thank you for coming out. Uh, c- uh, couldn't. Uh, get deep enough but uh, i'm sure we will over there over the years this is going to be a a fun relationship thanks Again, chris thank you for having me um glad to be, have you here auf wiedersehen oh auf wiedersehen wait <laughs> oh, um, heidi kum would say right <laughs> isn't, right. That, isn't that her line sorry heidi <laughs> <laughs> we'll say ciao ciao, ciao. <laughs> Well, Mel, uh, Chris's passion for the theme park art form is pretty infectious. I think we hit it off pretty well with Chris. Well, yeah, you could tell that he's a, a fan, even, you know, on the, the trip <laughs> out. Uh, he had just come uh, from uh, Six Flags Magic Mountain for his first trip out, uh, yeah. which is kind of a uh, kind of an annual Father's Day tradition. I take uh, my thrill-seeking kids, uh, <laughs> you know, get their annual adrenaline uh, rush. So it was so cool to get his fresh take on that. I know he's been friends with uh, the park president out there, Neil Thurman, and um, and then to then to get to hang with him and take him to, to our uh, happiest place on earth in our backyard here at Disneyland and to, to walk through uh, the portal of Galaxy's Edge, Star Wars, yeah, um, and to get his reactions. What, a, what an epic day. <laughs> it really was. It actually, it was pretty funny. Um, I don't know if you saw this or if you knew this, but I'm a, I've been to Galaxy's Edge several times. And so I was super excited to show him things and point things out. And uh, part of the way, and he's taking pictures. And part of the way through, he just said, "Hey, I'm just gonna experience it." Yeah. <laughs> I realized you, I, was, uh... I was I was tour guiding, and he wanted to really enjoy it, and I loved it. I was like, "Oh yeah, perfect!" I backed off and just watched him enjoy it, and it was really really a special uh, opportunity to see it through his eyes. It is a uh, it is one of those kind of experiences that uh, it can be kind of overwhelming. Yeah. And at some point, you kind of just need to pause and take it in i I know um you know going through uh with colleagues and family and friends i mean really until i was able to kind of actually sneak through by myself uh you know i I really was able to open up the receptors and and take it all in at another level well mel the river is rising let's uh head for home shall we 
Until we sail again. Thanks, Mel. The Themed Attraction Podcast is hosted by Freddie Martin and Mel McGowan. We're so grateful you take time to listen to our show. It means so much to us uh, to know that you're interested in what we're interested in. Would you do us a favor? Can you go on to uh, Apple Podcasts and leave a positive review? Your positive review helps other people find the show and uh, gives us more opportunities to share more and more stories uh, with you and people like you. Well, we want to thank our guest, Chris Lang. Follow Chris on Instagram at Crito Berlin, which is spelled C-H-R-I-T-T-O Berlin, and on Twitter at Chris L-A 71550269. He's very active on LinkedIn, too, so please find him there. Get access to more stories and interviews at themedattraction.com, an insider's look at theme park design by theme park designers. Follow the action on Instagram and Twitter at themedattraction. You can also connect with Mel by email via mel at Storyland Studios or follow him on Twitter at Mel McGowan and Instagram at Visioneer. You can find me at freddymartin.net and follow my adventures at Skipper Freddy on Instagram and Twitter. Our theme music was composed by the one and only Rob Watson. Other music provided by the Lost Dogs. This episode was designed and produced by the one and only Dr. Barry Hill. Find him at barryrhill.com. You know, Mel, Barry's such a sweet guy. He used to work in an orange juice factory, but he got canned because he couldn't concentrate. His boss nearly beat the pulp out of him. Thanks for listening, folks. 